This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to the Skeptical Skeptics Podcast. I'm your host, RJ Metzger. And I'm Rachel Metzger. We're on episode 31, the week after our Bigfoot special. Woo! Woo! Yeah, so it was generally well-received. Um, we're always weird about how long our specials are. I actually considered splitting it up into two different episodes because of that. But I don't know. People seem to like it, so kind of glad we didn't. Anyway, um, news for the show. We have some sold some swag, getting some stickers out there. By some he means one shirt. No, nope. some stickers too. Oh man, just kidding. <laughs> um, getting up there. Also, yes, thank you, Mike, for buying our shirt. <laughs> really appreciate you. Uh, what was I going to say? What else? Um, oh yeah, so we're going to have a bunch of callouts this week, um, and then for the next couple weeks of episodes, we might not have any because we actually need to record like two or three here in the next couple days because my work schedule is absolutely crazy and I'm going it sucks <laughs> uh, going out of town for three out of the next four weeks um, for work. So yeah. So if you do reach out to the show, you might not hear it for a couple weeks, but uh, like, don't get me wrong. I am recording you. I'll be putting you onto our list for the random drawing. And then we'll also be shouting you out. So don't be discouraged if you go a couple weeks without hearing your name. But this week we had normally in love from Instagram reach out to us. So didn't catch a real name because I am not good at the gram, nor do I care about it. But uh, yes, thank you for reaching out to us. Katie Zacharias. What? No, go ahead. Uh, Katie Zacharias, who is the famed and fabled smiley face, smiley face, smiley face, <laughs> uh, laughing face, laughing, laughing face, uh, middle of your keyboard person. Um, she might not appreciate that I make fun of that lightly because she did mention that she made that when she was like 10. But as the proud owner of Tornado 89131 mm-hmm. is one of my emails because I made that when I was eight. Oh, not even close. <laughs> I have RT Blondie. But the best part, <laughs> by the way, like my maiden last name is starts with T. The best part is I spelt it wrong on purpose. Like it was B-L-O-N-D-I because I was making fun of the fact that I'm stupid. Yeah. Like I was calling myself like I'm a blonde, That's which a, is like it's such an early 2000s, late only 90s girl super thing. Super dumb. I made that when I was like 13, but also right. I was basically insulting myself. It's true. So you have nothing to worry about, Katie. But thank you for reaching out and letting us know who you are. Um, so you'll be in the next drawing as well. And we really appreciate your five star review. Thank you. Uh, Jeremy Kratzer reached out to the sh- reached out to the show. So we appreciate you. Also. Our boy Oliver McClellan from way back when uh, he did not step up and say he missed out on the drawing, but that's just because he's a cool dude. So you're going to be in the next one, dude. So sorry we missed you. Um, He was really like he reached out to us after what, like episode one, episode three. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like he's one of the OGs. Yeah. So uh, that's why I missed him. Um, But yeah, he'll be in the next drawing. So thank you, Oliver, for sticking around with us. Tristan Whitmire. Oh, by the way, if you feel like you are. A brother with Oliver, Oliver or sister uh, in hanging out with us back when we were really bad. Not that we I, I don't know if we've gotten markedly better, but <laughs> um, I know our audio, no, I audio have, quality I is a little no better. No proof of us being any better than we no, were. No, zilch. But if you've been listening to us 
for 30 episodes just hoping we get better someday um much like oliver reach out to us um and if we missed you like i do want to shout you out we really appreciate everybody but specifically those first supporters you know because back when we were like you know two to three downloads a day man also, if we were really bad, like if we haven't gotten better since then, like just don't tell me. I don't even know. No, you can tell me. Don't tell I her. I don't want to know because yeah. I feel like we have. And so like that makes me feel good as a person. She has no clue. She doesn't listen to the show. So it's rough. you would be you would be breaking my spirit if you told me we were just as crappy as we were no, back then. Yeah, because the few spirit. episodes I have listened to were at the beginning <laughs> and they were a little rough. Anyway, so Tristan Whitmire, uh, we appreciate your comments as well. Oh my gosh, they appreciate. Jeff Cutshaw. This whole section is the appreciate no, you section. I feel like, first off, we're not saying appreciate you. It is. But also, I feel like you need to get a thesaurus and well, find yeah, different what words for I appreciate. Say? We're grateful. You guys are awesome. Thanks. Thanks is a great one. That's, you know, the normal word. Well, I Anything appreciate Anything other than appreciate. Anyway, on this week's appreciate you hate, section. You've made me hate this word. <laughs> um, so Jeff Cutshaw appreciate oh, you and man. your comments. Uh, so something that Jeff mentioned, which if you guys hadn't seen this, um, in regards to Bigfoot, there is a great podcast out there called Wild Thing, and I, I'm sad I didn't mention it. And it's from a uh, person who found out that she's related to like one of the OG like Bigfoot researchers. Just so cool. Yeah, but she's also a skeptic, um, which is cool. So she goes around like kind of continuing his research and talking to people that were in his like circle and stuff like that. Um, but also has like a skeptical view. She also did a great interview with um, the guy from Meat Eater. Um, and I loved hearing both of their opinions because he's a super skeptic and she's kind of like a skeptic, but there might be something to this. Um, and then they also she provides the points of the believers. So it's a very, very good, like skeptical look at, at Bigfoot as well, which I didn't really do much last time because my mind was so blown. I do have a little bit of a follow up that we're going to do as the in the news section. Um, but yeah, so if you want that more skeptical side, uh, which is exactly how I felt. I really did feel like that podcast that so go listen to them. Um, and that's how I used to feel. And sometimes how I still feel. I mean, honestly, who knows? Uh, then there's Bebhin Fiochadan, which if I mess that up, I'm so sorry. I'm so um, glad you do this part because, man, the butchering I would be doing. I just do my best, but I do butcher a lot of it. Um, and then Mark Hills. Uh, we are grateful hey. for all your comments and your, everything. Your eighth grade English teacher would be proud. Okay, whatever, man. <laughs> You're so mean. Why do I do this podcast with you? Because <laughs> I'm the only person that hangs out with you this much. That's true. Uh, I mean, we're married. I hope so. That's what I'm saying. Um, last thing is, if you guys would like to get your scary stories to us, our voicemail number is 361-233-2853. There's a nifty little, like, rewind button um that you can use if you didn't catch that but we'll also put it on our social media but again that's 361-233-2853 it'll just go to like a google voice number it, and like we won't answer it and make it awkward like you're expecting to like <laughs> leave a voicemail we're just like hello um no so it'll bring you to a voicemail please leave a voicemail with like any scary story you want if you just want to tell it if you would rather like send it to us you can reach us on instagram facebook uh twitter at skep skep pod s-k-e-p-s-k-e-p pod um on any of those three or email us at skeptical skeptics at gmail.com yeah that's right um but yeah so we're gearing up to do that episode we're gonna try to get a couple other podcasters on to tell their scary stories so i would really like that one to be content rich so please no stories too small no stories dumb anything like that uh please give it to us 
And we do have quite a few stories, too. So it's not like you'll be the first. It's just the voicemail number, not really well used. And this yet. time I'll get to tell some of my stories. Yes, which she didn't here do last time. time. And, but to be fair, they're not great. But still, I have a few. Yeah. So, yes. Thank you all for reaching out. And if you would like to reach out to the show, like I, I think it was normally in love was uh, like very tentatively reached out on Instagram. It was like, can I be added to the drawing? It's like, yep, you're good. You're in. So uh, feel free to just even if you just say, hey, add me to the drawing. That's totally fine. You'll be added to the drawing. So we have everybody in there. So in the news, we're not going to do anything in the news. What I'm going to do is talk about some of the skeptical side of what I talked about last week for the genetic research just real quick. So. Um, and I did, I read like the peer reviews and I read some critiques about this, but I read something that I found a little later and didn't quite make it into the episode that I did like where they said that, um, some of that second genetic marker, right? The, the parental hominid, which by the way, if you haven't listened to the Bigfoot special, just go ahead and skip this. Um, it won't make any sense. It won't make any sense. Yes. But if you did listen to the Bigfoot special, it's just a small continuation or even better pause and go listen listen to to the the Bigfoot special. special. Yeah. And then come on back. But anyway, so um, some of that second parental marker, uh, some of the critiques are that they maybe had bad um, etiquette with their genetic samples. Yeah. And instead of saying this was bad etiquette or this was which in a normal like if you knew you were looking at human DNA, if you knew that for a fact, they would have taken these same things. And instead of saying, hey, it's potential different hominin. Right. Mm -hmm. They would have said it's a it's a messed up sample. Like, yeah, so right. so if if I took Rachel's DNA knowing she's a human, right, which I guess we can't be certain could be a lizard. <laughs> right. But knowing she's a human and her t- her DNA sample went off to the labs and came back like these Sasquatch samples, we would definitely say it was contaminated. So that's something that like a couple people I don't know. And here's the thing. The critiques are not coming from even something as well established as Dr. Ketchum, like because they aren't from. PhDs. These critiques are coming from like magazines and like bloggists, right? Yeah. But just to throw it out there, they are saying, and, and, and not to say that no doctor would say this. Like, I just, you know, I mean, I can't devote my whole life to this. I would love to one day. That would be really cool, but I can't right now. So, um, I, you know, I didn't like fully dive deep into who these people are, but some of the critiques are in any normal circumstance, you would say that these samples were contaminated. I do refute that and say, but if you have 106 that look similar, and you think they all came from a similar person or entity, yeah. right? Um, and they look similar from genetic makeup, then you probably do have a strong case that you found a different thing. So that I'm still excited. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I do get the critiques. And and also, don't get me wrong here. Like, I'm not saying this is infallible evidence. I was excited when we recorded. And that's because I just found that at the very, like, last 30 minutes before we recorded. But now that I've sat on it for a little bit, like, of course, I could say, like, if it came out tomorrow, it was all bunk. Wouldn't surprise me. It's just really cool. I think the, the the point of excitement that I had was just it was cool that somebody had done something I'd been asking for, you know, which is gather it up and make a DNA test, you know. So, yeah, anyway, a little bit of the skeptical side um, and a little continuation from our special. Also, I want to point out, how did I not notice before that her name is Dr. Ketchum? And how did it not make me think of Gotta Catch em All? Ash Ketchum. Yep. Because it does I want to be... The very best. Like no one ever was. Anyways. anyways. (laughs) Uh, If you did not get excited about us singing that, then you can go ahead and uh, check on out. Just leave now. Yeah. Unless you're from a different generation, then we still enjoy you. Or a different culture. Nah, never mind. 
if you didn't get excited, then no judgment. That's fine. No judgment. Live your life. Full 180. All right. So this week I'm talking about the 1950s White House UFO incident. Ooh. Yeah. Which I'd heard of in passing, but didn't really know much about until now. So hopefully you guys don't either. I've literally never heard of it. Excellent. I'm going to be talking about the Danvers State Hospital. Have you heard of this place? Not even once. Really? In fact, I thought you said Denver. So there we go. It's like, it's a big deal. Really? Yes. So um, it is in Danvers, Massachusetts in like a rural, rural, uh-oh, rural. Rural. Nothing makes you feel like you <laughs> lost 50 IQ points like saying rural. Rural? I think we've done this before. <laughs> yeah. It's like a long time ago. Specifically with me trying to say, say it. Because I can't freaking say that yeah, word. Yeah, we've done this before. Man, we're at the part of the podcast where we like... We have to be like, oh no, have I said this joke before? Oh, or have I had man. this dumb moment before? Um, yeah, in one of those areas. In Danvers, Massachusetts, it was an... Just went to Massachusetts for the first time, by the way. Uh, I don't want to hear about it. I was a single <laughs> mom that whole time. Anyways, yep. um, it was an insane asylum. Uh, and it opened on May 13th of 1878. Um, it was giant. It was huge. It started out decently small, just like a few kind of connecting buildings, but it ended up like they kept building and building and building and it became ginormous. Um, the entire thing was connected by a labyrinth of underground tunnels, um, for easy traveling in wintertime and eventually to hide the worst patients because they didn't want outsiders to see them. So they would live in these underground tunnels, which I'm sure are terrifying. Can you imagine going in these underground tunnels? Because nightmares. I wouldn't want to, no. No. Also, though, super smart for like, hey, we live in a really cold place. So let's have tunnels that we can walk through rather than. See, and that's the thing. It always becomes so creepy, but it was always started as like practical. Yeah, it was a good idea. It was like, hey, guys, it's freaking cold in Massachusetts. Yeah. Let's not make everyone freeze when they have to go outside instead. Well, like, we don't want this huge superstructure, so how can we connect them in a place that way that doesn't freeze us to death? Yep. Anyways. Creepy so, underground tunnels. Um, them, along with every other insane asylum at the time, started out super humane, right? Like it was a place for rehabilitation. Quotes, though, like, well, at least that was the they, idea. They showed that. Like the yeah. main doctor talked a lot about how he didn't believe in restraining patients or about doing experiments, blah, blah, Until blah. they become... Hard to deal with and restrain Basically. the heck out of them. Yeah. Um, it's like every parent is like, I will never, <laughs> I will never do anything. I'm not even going to say one specific thing. Of course, your no. mind's going to go to spanking, but I just mean anything. Any anything. parent is like, I, I will never, never yell at my kids. I will yeah. never, my kids will never throw fits. I try not to yell at my kid before 7 a.m. Like, let's see if that works. I wake up. I wake up in the morning within the first five minutes and I believe I won't. That's about as far as I get some days. And that's optimism right there. So, yeah, some days I don't even. I wake up and I'm like, we all know what's going to happen today. Anyways, um, so the entire place was built to only house about 500 patients uh, with also with some attic space that could maybe fit 100 more in the beginning. But by the 1940s, they had over 2,000 patients, um, which is why some ended up in the basement and in the tunnels. So, um, in 1895, they also opened a pathological research lab, which, you know, that's when the bad things happened because when you're in a insane asylum and there's research going on, it means bad tests, right? Yeah. 
Horrible experiments. Um, so, of course, it was reported around this time that the staff began to use shock therapy, harmful drugs, and lobotomies on patients. Um, they also started using straitjackets to keep the crowded hospital under control, to basically keep people chill because there was way too many people. Um, this place actually is believed to be the birthplace of frontal lobe lobotomies. Oh, excellent. Yeah, what a, what a, great, what a great achievement that is. Um, Do you they, know that one of the Kennedy kids was lobotomized? I did not know that. Yeah. That is really sad. Yeah, JFK and RFK, like one of their, I think it was an older sister, was just like a little too punk rock for old man Kennedy, and he got her lobotomized. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We might do an episode on it. Um, There was also a, they had their very own, um, what sort of thing, a crematorium? Crematorium, yeah. mm-hmm. Burning uh, bodies? Yes, and yeah. they, and obviously... They, a lot of people died in there, mostly because of failed lobotomies. Because if you were the, the founder first, of it, yeah. there was a lot of experimenting up. happening. Well, and even once it was like, nor quote unquote normal, a lot I mean, of people you're were still dying. Inserting stuff into a brain. Well, yeah, a lot of people were still dying. Yeah, like it's, it's not, not like ideal. it was ever like we have successfully made a safe lobotomy, and not that lobotomies are good anyways. I digress. Um, they also around this time, of course, became severely understaffed to the point where uh, people would um, die and they wouldn't be found until days later rotting in a forgotten corner. Oh. Yeah. Like there would literally be so many people walking around and like sitting in places and stuff that like it'd be like a bunch of people sitting and there's like one guy dead. Jeez. Yeah. Um, And there's people actually that reported like visiting family members in there because it was open all the way until the 60s or the almost the 80s and it was horrible. Like it was just disgusting. It was nasty. It smelled bad. There was people just wandering around sleeping on the floor in the hallways because there was nowhere to be. Uh, so the, so this was like around the 60s was kind of the time when, um, you know, giant insane asylums like this were becoming taboo and not so good anymore. Thank goodness. So they had huge budget cuts. And by 1969, the hospital began closing wards. By 1985, most of the building was, was shut down. And by 1992, the entire place was closed. Wow. That's still like really late though. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Right. Like that's a long time. I mean, they weren't really using it anymore. They it basically stopped being, stopped being used by 1985, but that's a long still, time. Oh yeah. 1985. It's crazy. So our parents um, were like in college when this place stopped being used. I know. So in 2005, uh, it had been basically abandoned and left from 1992 to 2005. In 2005, it was bought by Avalon Bay Development Company, who planned on taking the whole thing down to build apartments, which. Who would walk up to a building like that and be like, this is the great place to build apartments? Because they're normally on really pretty pieces of land. I'm sure, though. but still. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> So, um, a lawsuit was actually filed to stop the stop this from happening because, um, by historic preservationists, because it was actually on the national registry of historic places, mm. but apparently nobody cared. No one cares. Okay. Which, you know, you should probably care. Yeah. But why would this place be on the registry of historic? Like who wants this place still around? Like who's like, there were good memories there. No, it should still be here. It's still like a, big part of history and like an old building. And I get it, but it's it's like, it's creepy and terrifying and no one... You know what's creepy? A freaking (laughs) caterpillar that's still like painted. I don't like it. Yeah. I like, like Larry's about to bark at it. We'll post a picture of this thing. Our son painted the hungry caterpillar, but it's demented. decided this was important right now. Well, I looked over and it creeped me out. 
because it's a new fixture in my uh, bookshelf. Ugh. Sorry. All right, continue. Yeah, Larry's not liking it either. That's why. That's what made me look. That's weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I'm. Just, I. I mean, I'm all for the whole like, um, keeping our history alive and everything, but I think most people don't want that place to be alive. No. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, nobody cared. Um, so most of the building was demolished in 2006. They did keep a few wings, but actually the developer decided to keep the entire outside of the hospital and basically build an entire new building. So you're going to live in apartments that look like this hospital. Like they kept the entire structure. Yeah. That's just seems like so much harder work to do too also what does a developer would be like hey you know really get people to want to live here i mean is make it, pretty? it look like yeah oh it's beautiful it well, looks like a, well i get that but if they know the history at all like not only are you living on a, a place where terrible terrible things happened it still looks like it yeah mm-hmm. i mean i get it as i say i don't like that Ooh, we're going to make t-shirts with that by the oh way my gosh one person is going to buy it Brittany. thanks yeah. i appreciate it <laughs> okay first of all we could try to hook Brittany up with at least a nonprofit version of that shirt because she came up with the idea. But secondly, you're the one who said we should have like slogan shirts. And now we finally have one. You know, I got to say, guys, you don't get to hear this part because it's just that he says it away from the podcast. But most of the time, RJ is getting on me for being the one who's constantly getting us off topic and constantly changing the topic. You're the, the one topic. who said your catchphrase. And yet RJ is all about it tonight. We're talking about caterpillars. We're talking about my catchphrase. I'm sorry. All I'm trying to talk about is insane asylums. Okay. It's it's my sleep schedule. I'm messed up. All right. Back to the insane asylum. I like it. So, um, they had planned for the building to be ready to go by fall of 2007. But on April 7th of 2007, four of the apartment buildings caught fire for unknown reasons, which of course, many people are like ghosts, but I'm like arsonists. Yeah. Colton members. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and also, or those historians who are pissed, who are like, hey. They wouldn't burn it, though. Oh, some might. You don't know historians. Yeah, don't act knows? like you know those right. people. I know. They're all just like getting together after their classes that they teach and burning buildings. You're right. I, hey, you don't know people's lives Subculture. when they're, you don't know. On the subreddit of historians, they get together and do this. So this did halt construction, but the complex was eventually completed and it's done now. Oh, um, they're actual apartments now? Yeah, they're real apartments. Really? Yeah. Oh, I should have gone and seen them. Um, the only thing left of the building is a few extra wings, the exterior, some of the tunnels, and the cemetery. So their their apartment wow. is next to a cemetery of all these people who died. Did you see pictures of this place? Yes, I did. How you creepy is it? It's so, oh, hella creepy. It's hella creepy? Real creepy. By the way, I was driving around Boston, and it is like the creepiest place I've ever been. This place fits in. I love in. it. It's beautiful. This place it's super creepy. fits in perfect. It's terrifying. Oh. Um, so since it was obviously abandoned between 1992 and 2005, many people did go check it out themselves, like many like urban explorers and oh, yeah, I'm sure ghost hunters and stuff. Um, they obviously reported seeing apparitions, hearing voices, phantom footsteps, and shadows. Uh, back when it was still a hospital, part of one of the buildings was actually rented to a family. Um, which can you imagine being those people? I don't know if like they did not talk about whether or not one of the parents worked there or something. I'm assuming yeah, they maybe like did. Why? Yeah. Um, but the daughter of the fam of the parents, her name was Geraldine Levisur. Levisur. Um, their whole family reported hearing footsteps on the second story when no one was home. Doors would open and close, and lights would flicker. 
She remembered playing in the attic one day with her brother and sister, and they saw an old woman standing in the corner uh, of the room scowling at them. And then she also, one night while she was in high school, had her entire uh, blanket ripped off of her in the middle of the night. And when she woke up, no one was there. Uh, Many who have visited the place have commented on the horrible energy there. And uh, some actually who lived in the apartments have reported leaving for that exact reason. Oh, wow. Um, Something very interesting is there's actually, for being the kind of place that it is, there's not really a whole lot. Uh, of proof of things that have gone on hmm. because they've always had really tight security there. Oh, okay. Um, every year, a lot of people get arrested trying to get on there. And actually, since its closure in 1992, over 120 ghost hunters have requested to visit the site. And they have allowed a few during the day, but only one has been allowed at night. Um, Did it say who? No, I couldn't find it. I looked forever and I couldn't find their name. And I think there's a reason for that because it said... Um, they have never reported their findings and have basically refused to ever talk about it or what happened when they went. What? Yeah. They're doing a disservice to all of us weirdos. Come I know. on. There's a chance that like, I don't know, maybe something really crazy happened and like they told them they weren't allowed to talk about it or they're too freaked out to talk about it or nothing did happen and it was boring. I don't know, but. Oh, what a carrot to dangle, Rachel. Yeah, I know. It did it to me too. Well, and the craziest part is it's like, it's this, you know, like this place has the formula for angry ghosts, right? Well, like, okay, so normally when you tell me something, I either know about it or like something. This is the first time I've ever felt like the compulsion to go Google the hell out well, of this thing. Well, and this is why you've never, you haven't heard that much about it is because there's just no one talks well, about it. Well, the security's it. really good. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it's just not available. I mean, I wow. think between 1992 and 2005, more people were, were able to get in. But even then it wasn't like not as many. So we, Not have, very many. we have a ghost hunter that follows us. Uh, Amy from Full Dark Productions. Go check her out. She's really good. But Amy, I'm going to tweet you. You need to find your way into this place. It's an apartment but building. don't like, get arrested, on. Amy. No, it's They a, say basically now the only way you can get in is if you rent an apartment. Okay, Amy, I have an apartment for you. I had a cr- <laughs> critical deal. Uh, I have no idea where she lives. Okay. That is a good story. I know, but and it's just like so frustrating because it's like... You know, some stuff goes down. And I tried to find like any stories from people who lived there in the apartments. I haven't heard, I There's just nothing. couldn't find anything. That's so weird. Like, you didn't even have like any ghost stories, really. But it's just that you know you it's know. creepy. There's no way. Way too many bad. It ha- it's just like the perfect, the perfect storm of bad. So everybody go Google it, figure out what you can see. Yeah, there's actually a lot of pictures from when it was those years in between. They have a lot of people's pictures are on there and it's really eerie. So it's just your basic old ghost place. But I like the I like the whole mystery element. Like, that's cool. We don't get to know. Yeah, we know, though. Right. We, we know, know, but we don't actually really get knows. to know. That's awesome. Um, so if you know anyone that's been there and has any personal experiences, call our voicemail hotline at. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even have it in front of me. Um, no. Yeah, I like that story. OK, so let's take a quick break for some ads. That I don't even remember who it is this week, but I'm sure they're great because I've listened to You're everybody on the network. To figure it out. Did you know that a man once jumped into a bulletproof window so much that he busted it out of the frame and fell to his death? I do. Hey, I'm Nicholas Howe, and I made an improvised comedy storytelling podcast about this death and many others. 
Using a multiverse of memes as the catalyst, I explore the various ways people have died. I also have special guests on and freak them out about how dangerous the world is. Did you know lakes can explode? You do now. Listen to the How Will I Die podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at H-W-I-D-I-E-P-O-D. Okay, so like I said, I'm going to be talking about the 1952 White House UFO incident, um, which I knew about only super in passing. So anyway, it happened at 11.40 p.m. Saturday, July 19th, 1952. It's also been called the Big Flap, which I like that name. It's a good name. (laughs) I have no idea what the heck it means. It sounds like dumb or inappropriate. Mostly, yeah, inappropriate to me, but I don't know. Anyway, so the Big Flap. Uh, This actually fueled some of the earliest conspiracy theories about a government plot to hide evidence of alien life. And we'll talk about the reasons why. Um, But I think that's really interesting. Um, So the whole incident started when air traffic controller Ed Nugent. Mm. 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 Why is that interesting? <laughs> because it's just like Ted, Ted Nugent, Nugent but yeah, minus but a T. Ted Nugent <laughs> isn't like an alien guy. No, I know. I'm just saying that's such a good name. Remember when we had the scientist Alan Jackson and now we've got air traffic controller Ed Nugent? Nugent. Uh, All these people and their side jobs. I know. So anyway, uh, Ed Nugent is an air traffic controller in the Washington National Airport, um, and he observed something odd on the radar screen in front of him. It appeared to be a group of six or seven slow moving objects moving together over the region that he had radar coverage over. Um, well outside the flight paths of any known aircraft, military or civilian in the area at the time. He joked to his superior officer, uh, hey, we've got a fleet of flying saucers. Right? So like it was an open joke. He thought it was a mistake. Yeah, somehow. right. But anyway, shortly thereafter, another of the air traffic controllers uh, in that same area noticed something odd and out of place. It was a strange light in the distance, which appeared to accelerate and disappear at incredible speed. But this he saw with his eyes. That's critical. Okay. So at the nearby Andrews Air Force Base, radar operators were also getting the same unidentified bleeps, slow uh, and clustered at first, then racing away at speeds exceeding 7000 miles per hour. Okay. Uh, which is fast, super hella fast in case you didn't know. So anyway, um, looking out of his tower window, one Andrews controller saw what he had described as an orange ball of fire trailing a tail. Okay. Okay. Got a comment there? Interesting. No. Okay. Continue. Anyway. So when radar operators at the, um, at national watched the objects buzz past the white house and the Capitol building, um, any like jokes about this, like just quit, right? They scrambled two F-94 interceptor jets. And uh, by the time they approached the locations, the radars uh, blips kept disappearing, right? Almost like whack-a-mole. They would send them and then they would disappear. Right. So by dawn of July 20th, the objects were gone. The objects in this whole thing received notable news coverage in the press, with many articles emphasizing the U.S. Air Force uh, interest in what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the headlines at the time, which imagine this, this is the 1950s, right? World War II had just wrapped up less than a decade ago. And you see in the paper, saucers swarm over Capitol. On a different newspaper, jets chase D.C. sky ghosts. The Washington Post on the Monday edition declared, saucer outruns jet, pilot reveals. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, according to the Washington Post, the UFOs hovered 1,700 feet above the White House lawn. So this media frenzy is full bore. Yeah, right? of course. So Major General John A. Samford appeared on camera July 31st, 1952. Now, 
July 31st, remember this, this is a few weeks later, and there's be- that's because there's another incident in between here. But oh, okay. Because I'm talking about media, that's why I'm bringing this up now. So General John A. Samford held the longest uh, press conference um, regarding the military since the end of World War II. So think about this. The media is freaking out. And then the first press conference you've seen since World War II happens, and they discuss the freaking flying saucers over the White House. Yeah, people okay? are losing it. Right. This is phenomenal. So mm-hmm. I'm about to play a clip. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So listen to that. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucers. The Air Force interest in this problem has been due to our feeling of an obligation to identify and analyze to the best of our ability anything in the air that may have the possibility of threat or menace to the United States. In pursuit of this obligation since 1947, we have received and analyzed between one and 2,000 reports that have come to us from all kinds of sources. Of this great mass of reports, we have been able adequately to explain the great bulk of them, explain them to our own satisfaction. We've been able to explain them as uh, hoaxes, as erroneously identified friendly aircraft, as meteorological or electronic phenomena, or as light aberrations. However, there have been a certain percentage of this volume of reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. It is this group of observations that we now are attempting to resolve. Our basic difficulty in dealing with these is that there is no measurement of them that makes it possible for us to put them in any pattern that would be profitable for a deliberate, uh, custom sort of analysis to take the next step. We have, as of date, come to only one firm conclusion with respect to this remaining percentage, and that is that it does not contain any pattern of purpose or of consistency that we can relate with any, to any conceivable threat to the United States. We can say that the recent sightings are in no way connected with any secret development by any agency of the United States. So he also talked about um, a temperature inversion story, which we'll talk about that. Uh, and he said that the objects were, quote, misidentified aerial phenomena, kind of indicating uh, stars or meteors, right? And then he okay, like stuff like that. But like, so he was trying to downplay it. But he did the exact opposite, right? But by addressing it and Just using like straight up saying flying saucers, flying like, saucers you over the White House, you can't say yeah. that. People right. freak out, right? So that's why this thing gained so much notoriety, right? Right. Which I mean, again, put yourself in their shoes. Like, there's no way you couldn't. No, of course. Right? So anyway, um, the problem with him trying to push. So, so that was there's a couple things here. Project Blue Book was like in its infancy at the time. And uh, the guy behind Project Blue Book, his name was Rutler's Rupters Rudoodle, uh, something <laughs> like that. I have it in my notes. I'm scrolling. Hang on. Um, Rupatoodle. You need to stop guessing. Rutler. So the guy's last name is Rupelt, um, and he's part of Project Blue Book in its infancy, right? Mm-hmm. So he's called in on the first 
um, the first incident, right? Mm-hmm. And to get a little bit more detail on that first incident, I know I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but it's because I'm trying to give you like the big scope of the incident and then like get into the details, right? So in the first incident, we had, again, the, like multiple people observing this. And then one of the critical things that made it out into the press was the testimony of this guy, Captain S. Casey Pierman, uh, who's from Detroit. He is an airline captain uh, who was sitting on the tarmac uh, whenever the the event started, right? And while waiting, he saw the six objects moving about the sky. And over a 14 minute period, uh, he would see the objects appear and then he would watch them disappear. And then he was talking to the one of the aircraft controllers, seeing this on the radar at the whole at, at the time, right? So this is why this is critical because I'm about to get into what the major said the event was and then why it makes no sense. Okay, mm-hmm. so. This guy is watching this. He's feeding like the, the air traffic controller and be like, hey, it's on radar over here. And then he'd say, yeah, I've got eyes on it. Right. Um, every time Pierman reported a sighting, a blip appeared on the on Barnes's radar screen and vice versa. Um, he also started flying uh, flight 807 uh, heading southbound uh, from the airport whenever he finally got clearance to leave. Mm-hmm. And he saw seven objects wall while on that flight. And he described the objects as quote, hanging motionless like stars while at other times, quote, moving at tremendous speed and resembling falling stars, falling stars without tails. He was also reported as saying, quote, in my years of flying, I've seen a lot of flying, falling or shooting stars, but these were much faster. They couldn't have been aircraft. They were moving too fast for that. They were about the same size. And as uh, the same size and as the brighter and as bright as the brighter stars. Uh, and they were much higher than our 6,000 foot altitude. Okay. So he's like watching this and reporting it out. So the next, the next Saturday after this, right. Uh, the objects came back. So, um, oh, wow. yeah, so here's what's funny. So after that first sighting, um, and the news blew up, right. Uh, good old Rupelt from our plot project blue book, right? He's mm-hmm. supposed to be tapped into this. He's supposed to be the military dude about this. No one told him about it. He, <laughs> he of course they didn't. He read about it in the newspapers. Okay. You imagine how pissed you'd be. Oh, he was super pissed. Like, it gets this worse. Is, like this is my whole job. It gets worse. He, uh, once he found out about it, he was in the state and they wouldn't give him cab fare or a car to investigate it. Okay. So that seems sketchy. Yeah. So they made him just fly back to Ohio without looking into it. Right. Not cool. No. Anyway, so um, like here be in charge of this. But when it actually goes down, we're going to hide everything from you because we don't want you to get the real, real scoop of what's happening. Right. Yeah. So one of the one of the things like that was being reported was, quote, the Air Force Today investigator reports that several flying saucers have been spotted by radar virtually in its own backyard on the outskirts of the nation's capital capital. This is from the Louisiana Monroe's new star. So all the way in Louisiana. Right. Uh, Not only were they were unidentified objects seen on radar indicating actual substance instead of merely light, but two airline pilots and a newsman saw lights uh, fitting the general description of a flying saucer on the same night. So that's where like, and then they put out like Pierman's testimony. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is like what good old Rupelt is like seeing in the news and he has no ability to, to like investigate this. Right. So anyway, after Rupelt goes back to Ohio, uh, like I said, one week after the incident, the lights were back. So radar operators were wondering if these were called, quote, temperature inversions. Okay, so remember that. Okay. Um, And what a temperature inversion is, is it 
it happens over DC quite a bit. Um, so the radar operators are like really familiar with it. Mm-hmm. But it's where a layer of warm air forms in the low atmosphere, making a pocket of cool air underneath. Okay. Okay. So radar can bounce off of that pocket of warm air and then reflect back prematurely, showing ground objects being in the sky. Okay. Okay. So then it can it can kind of do that whole, hey, you've got a bunch of slow moving objects and then all of a sudden they disappear. Yeah. Right. Um, and this was like openly discussed. Um, and it's actually been recorded as like people saying, hey, is this a temperature inversion? Right. Like whenever the objects came back. Right. Oh, but, wow. Yes. But um, two more F-94 jets were scrambled again to go chase these things. And this time, one of the jet pilots caught uh, a sighting of the bright light. Mm-hmm. And he said, quote, I tried to make contact with the bogies below a thousand feet. The pilot told reporters, quote, I saw several bright lights. I was at maximum speed, but even then I had no closing speed. I ceased chasing them because I saw no chance of overtaking them. So this, the jet that he was in was a top of the line. The F-94 was a very top of the line thing. Yeah. Obviously, it's what they scrambled because it was over the White House. Its max speed back then was 640 miles per hour, which for the 50s is incredibly fast, right? right? And he had no chance of catching this thing, right? So, anyway, um, our boy Rupelt reached out to his colleagues that were in the area this time because Mm -hmm. he knew it was, like, actively going on this time. Um, And he asked them about the whole temperature inversion thing. So they said that, quote, the objects were in no way uh, ground objects and that they were convinced that they were actually showing the markings of a flying aircraft. Okay. So this is what his air force colleagues said about the the object saying there's no way it was temperature inversion. So then we go back, back forward in time. We go back and then forward and whatever. Anyway, so so now we're back to the press conference, right? Uh That's why I want to bring this up. So the press conference, the major just latched onto that whole temperature inversion thing. Of course. Right. And that's what he tried to feed to people um, at the end of that uh, clip there. So the problem with that is that um, scientists that were kind of already looking into this said that there was no way it could be a temperature inversion because one, the air traffic controllers like saw it all the time. It's actually very common in D.C. and it had never done this. Right. The second part was that, quote, the investigators had already ruled out the inversion uh, they had examined that situation and the radar operator said, quote, inversions happen. We know what the inversions look like. This is not an inversion. This is not the same thing at all. Right. Is what it's they science. Said. We already know what it is. Right. Um, you can't. But then again, it's just it's you see it like they see it every day. Like this is their That's job. What I'm saying. Right? Yeah, like you can't like trick the people who like legitimately know exactly what that right. is. And then to add to the annoyance behind this being like what was fed to the public, right? Is that in 1969, a scientific uh, report released by the Air Force concluded that a temperature inversion strong enough to create the effect effect attributed to it by this general could not possibly occur in Earth's atmosphere. Even so, more than 50 years later, most people still think that this is the uh, actual explanation for what happened that night. So the the feeding of this was like totally successful, right? Yeah. So now here's the like skeptical side of it. If it weren't, if it wasn't aliens. So these are the two things that kind of like it might be. So somebody said 
uh, his name is Leon Davidson. He has a PhD and nobody even says what. So who knows? And it okay. could be freaking basket weaving. But anyway, he was an early, an early proponent of the idea that UFOs were largely a result of uh, technologies and like misdirection by our own government on purpose okay. to kind of divert from what the government was doing. Mm hmm. And he noted that radar technology had existed by 1950 that would have allowed the creation of these exact false positives in radar. So what he proposed was not like, what is this? But he was saying, like, who is this? Was it our government? Was it the USSR um, doing this? Because he found, quote, a new radar moving target simulator system, which generates a display of up to six individual targets on any standard radar indicator. Uh, which is to train radar operators and for in-flight testing of airborne early warning personnel systems. And uh, it can simulate target positions, paths, velocities, and can simulate real realistic flight paths for speeds up to 10,000 knots or 11,500 11, miles per hour. Okay. Um, and the target can be made to turn left, turn right, uh, or whatever. But this was at the time top secret technology, uh -huh. right? So he thinks like they were just, it was, it was just doing that. this. Yeah. Okay. So the problem with that, and that's, that's why I posed this last was, before, was after everything was the amount of eyewitnesses though. Right. To the lights. So why would it, why would they do it over the Capitol? Right. Like if you were going to do something like that, you would With do it somewhere. civilian air traffic controllers nearby. Right. You would do something knowing really this, secretive, very right. like out in the middle of nowhere. And not, knowing it's going to blow up like this. Yeah. Yeah. Not over the Capitol. Right. You wouldn't. And so that's my number one thing about that. I think that's total bunk. Like, I think that we have the ability to do that. Sure. And but, I'm sure it happened many times. Right. But right. the eyewitnesses. And like you said, this was a recipe for disaster. I don't think they're that stupid. Right. But then someone else followed that up saying uh, the Washington UFO flat perfectly illustrates the real government, quote unquote, cover up, says uh, Nick Pope, who's a UFO journalist. Um, but anyway, he says, quote, it's not a situation where the authorities conspired to keep some terrible truth about UFOs from the people, but rather the government doing its best to keep people from realizing they didn't have all the answers. And that's the part that I think is true. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Which is just like they knew this was bubbling up and they had no idea they what have it to was. Say, and they have to say yeah, something. They had to say something. And that was the thing that um, so our boy Rupelt, mm -hmm. um, he was trying to get in contact with their Air Force and saying, like, hey, let me be a part of y'all's statement. Like, I can help you at least say something. And instead, they said the thing that was wrong, that he knew was wrong. Right. And then, but but to his surprise and to a lot of people who look back on this, like, uh, event surprise, it worked perfectly still, though. A lot of the public, he said that, um, the Project Blue Book guy, Rupelt, he said that, um... UFO reportings went from 50 a day to 10 after that press conference because people oh. quit looking at the sky. Right. Because well, they thought it was. So I think people want an easy answer, right? Right. They want to believe something like want, that. Yeah. Yeah. Can also, I mean, aliens are scary. Yeah. So um, I think this is actually one of the one of because the whole swamp gas thing did get done by uh, Project Blue Book. But uh, in Men in Black, whenever they're like, well, swamp gas caused, you know, yeah. this sort of like it started from this, too, I think. Um but anyway, yeah, so it's one of those things that uh, it was horribly ill-advised for them to go out there and try to feed us this story, but it happened to work perfectly. And even today, like, as someone who has this podcast, I haven't looked very deep into this. No, I've never heard of it. Event. You haven't even heard of it, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, what the hell were those things, right? Like, was something actually buzzing the White House at 6,000 miles per hour? And here's the other part. So Project Blue Book went another 20 years past this. Um, and back to the clip that I played. Uh, you know, he said like, like he's out there openly acknowledging 
the flying saucer thing over the White House, but then also going into an in-depth like explanation that they're investigating them and some of them they can't come up with answers to. And then he tries to give you an answer. Like, it's just so sketchy. Also, the funny thing to me in those situations is almost always like the government, if something like that happens, the government comes out, gives an answer. People say, but this is why you're wrong. And they say, we're good with that. And we're just like, going to say nothing. 99% of people are like totally fine. Yeah. Sheeple, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they're like, you know what? They'd yeah, rather they believe the like easy answer that makes them sleep well at night than right. the scary one. Because it is scary. So what do you think? Do you think the government was just up to something and then they had to cover it up? Or do you think it was aliens? I think it's more likely that like what that that other guy said, the government just didn't have answers. They just didn't know. Yeah, that because they don't like even I said, know. I have no doubt there's been many times where the government is testing secret things. And I have no doubt a lot of times when people saw UFOs, that's what it probably was. Um, but well, like over the Capitol, that's the yeah, dumbest thing you could possibly do. Well, well because, and the, I mean, we we did the Area 51 thing like they knew about freaking desert skies. Yeah, right. You know, don't do it over a metropolis. Yes, you would do it out in the middle of nowhere. And that's where like, they have done it. Yes, of yeah. course. That's what they know already. So it's like that doesn't make any sense to me that you would do it there. Like I like unless I said, unless they were. Yeah, but here's so unless they were testing like their own F-94 pilots to scramble over the White House. But why wouldn't they just say it was an exercise? Because that's super common, too, for them to yeah. just say military exercise. Right. Well, if anything, right? that's a better excuse. That's super a, good oh, excuse. OK, yeah. I can take that. Right. Yeah. No, I don't. That's my only thing is like if in any other situation, if someone said that, if they were like, I was out living in a in a I'm just going to say the no. word again, <laughs> not trying to say it out in the middle of nowhere. And I saw these UFO lights and they were like, oh, it's you know, it was the military. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But not. Yeah. Not really. Not above the Capitol. That's way so too obvious. I mean, I don't know. I'm not like the government. I'm perfectly willing to admit I don't know. There's a chance it could be aliens or a chance it could be anything. Who knows? In 1950s to go that fast and seen by that many people. I mean, we don't, I don't know. It's the aliens, dude. There's too many things I don't know in order for me to ever say for sure it's something. It's aliens. There's no way it's not. Anyway, everybody Google this. There's no way it's not aliens. What else could it be? I'm not, I don't know. I'm straight up saying I have absolutely no idea. There's literally nothing else. Sure. So this is, now I feel like I'm getting bought into our own like crap because I, I am a legitimate skeptic. But now this whole Bigfoot thing and then these aliens like this, this is aliens. There's no other way. Well, OK, then I have a question about mine. What do you believe? Like, what do you believe? We have never I don't know if we've talked about this. What do you believe about like ghosts in places oh, like we've that? Talked about that? No, but specifically like hanging out in places like that. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about it, but like. So I'm on the fence because I don't think I believe in like actual people's souls being tied to a thing, you know, but I don't know if I believe in the whole like the whole idea that we like we don't know every form of energy and there could be something that one is like humans can project, but then also humans can receive. Right. Yeah. No, I believe energies Um, are huge. Yeah. Just because of our own psyche. But it just sounds so new agey that I don't like it. But but I know just something right because there are just places like all throughout time and history and stuff that you can walk in there without having any context and you just don't feel right. Uh, and whatever that goes through, like any, like, I mean, it could be something as simple and biological as like throwing off your sense of direction or whatever it may be, but like something like that. But I truly don't believe like consciousness is tethered to stuff. Like I, that makes no sense to me. Yeah, I don't either. So I don't know, but I mean, having gone through like my own hauntings and stuff, like, some of it is just so, so, like so out there that it couldn't be nothing to me. So like, 
man, now I sound like a super believer person. Like, and, and I guess I am, right? Like, I'm a want to believe person. I said that in the literal yeah. last episode. Like, I do want to believe. And more than anything, I would love just solid proof of something. Of course. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always in two things. Like, one, on one hand, it, none of it makes sense to me. But on the other, I can't deny, like, there's my like own experience. Much, and there's too much. And then other people's. Evidence, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, I, I just, I sh- truly don't know. I'm kind of there with you. Like, I... I always think of it like, I don't, I, I don't know the way I've always thought of it. It's like, you know, when you walk into like somebody's house and you're just like, oh, this is like a home, right? Like, this is just a homey place. Like it's comfortable. It makes you feel good. One of those extra century things. Yeah. And it just makes you feel happy and or you're like when, when, comfortable you're to be there. And uh, have earplugs in, you can tell when someone's in a room. Yeah, right. You're just your own. And that's something that science thing. has has noted. And we have no idea how we do that. Right. And yeah. so I wonder if like when I mean, I just I can't imagine that a place and maybe again, this makes me sound dumb, too. But I can't imagine that a place like that where so many horrible, awful, terrible, bad things happened. There can't where there wouldn't be some kind of marker left behind and whether or not that's actual people who are still tied there or whatever. I don't know if I believe in that, but like more of just like, it's just bad. It's the same as like Indian burial grounds and things like that, that it's just so many bad things happened that there's just not, it doesn't, it's not going to feel the same as other places. So let me stop you there. Let's do a mini sode here in the next little bit, especially since we have to do this where we just talk about like present, like right now, exactly how we feel about certain things like okay. Bigfoot that like a good ghost, idea. stuff like that that way over time with the podcast like we can see if it changes like yeah. for me Bigfoot like when we started this I had no belief in Bigfoot I think that's a cool idea I think that's a cool idea too so if you don't think that's a cool idea I apologize because I just came up with it now don't listen to definitely that gonna episode happen. yeah no listen to it <laughs> no but I mean if you don't care that's what I'm saying like, if you're like that's a stupid idea okay how about this even if you don't listen to it download it anyway <laughs> so no um, yeah so let me stop you there um, so look forward to that in the future we're just gonna do i don't know once every three or six months we'll just talk about how we feel about everything we talk about and see if anything's changed so i think it's a cool idea sounds good all right um this has been another episode of skeptical skeptics be on the lookout for that special mini so be on the lookout for the scary story episode please provide us some scary stories i know we definitely need a few more we need more like we have i would say probably a good like 30 minutes worth of content but i'd really like this one to be like a good healthy one so um, same and even if you've presented or given us something in text like Brittany gave us a big long text one which we love um but i've heard her podcast she's hilarious i would love for her to talk to us like that'd be great so Brittany, i know you're gonna hear this uh so voicemail or we can get you in we're also gonna have somebody from retro late feed carol phillips um she is a huge believer in this stuff so we're gonna have some guests on so please contribute to the show i'd love to hear your voice on here um and if you have any questions on how to get that done reach out to me other than that you guys have a good week and we'll see you next week bye thanks I want to take a moment to talk about PodCoin. It's a new app that's out there that actually pays you to listen to podcasts, which considering you're listening to our podcast, I would think maybe you're interested in this. Um, For every 10 minutes that you listen to it, you're going to get something called a PodCoin, which you can use to rack up uh, gift cards or stuff for charity. So like 
we do calories for dogs or like dog food, as Rachel so adamantly wants me to call it. But they count it in calories. And so, dadgummit, we've donated like 9000 calories to pups. Um, It's pretty great. So no other podcast app lets you do that. So check it out. Podcoin. Use our promo code SKEP. SKEP. S-K-E-P. S-K-E-P. All caps, no spaces. And you'll get 300 free Podcoins for your session with Podcoin.